You're listening to Lanyap, a weekly digest of news, personal finance, brotherly banter, and whatever else is on our minds. From Stokes Family Office. All right, Doug and Greg Stokes, Lanyap Podcast. It is the week of July 17th. Um, a lot of interesting things are happening in markets and the economy. It's earnings season, so we're we're getting information from the largest companies in America as to how they're performing con- compared to consensus. Uh, just want to read this off, and we can just talk, jump right into uh, what's happening with markets and earnings in general. Uh, this is from Sam Rowe. He says stocks climbed last week with the S and P 500 jumping 2.4 percent to close at 45.05. The index is now up 17.3 percent year to date up 26% from October 12th closing, low of 35.77, and down 6% from its January 3rd, 2022 record closing high of 47.96. Ford dipping slightly on Friday, that's a few close Thursday at 45.10, the highest since April 2022. Then he says, which I think is important, it's worth noting, the S&P is now above all the year-end targets that Wall Street forecasters had coming into the year. This speaks to how difficult it is to predict short-term moves in the market when the most well-resourced full-time professionals at the highest tier of their industry find themselves on their heels. Um, of course, we've got another six months left in the year, but um, but it is interesting that nobody predicted uh, a, a year like this year. And the, the highest prediction, Deutsche Bank at 4500 is still below where the market is right now. Sam then says, what's driving the rally? Well, resilient economic growth, cooling inflation. But most importantly, he thinks it's an improving outlook for earnings. Earnings is coming in much better than consensus. And so, yes, we're having a mild earnings recession this year, but the major share price impact as a result of declining earnings is just not happening. Um, Earnings are holding up. Corporate profits are holding up. The economy is better than expected and inflation is coming down. All of that's just a recipe for positive market growth first half of this year. So, Greg, let's talk about earnings uh, in particular, and uh, and then uh, we'll jump into some other impacts uh, on the economy. I think a couple that we talked about before we hit record that I think are interesting for people to hear. Yeah. If you look at the broad economy right now, the American consumer has been incredibly strong. And if you contrast that with the global consumer, we've been the we have over the last 15, 20 years, really over the last century, been the the, uh, light on the hill from a cultural and economic standpoint. But we've really taken that leadership to the next level over the recent past. Uh, So as it relates to what's happened in the markets this year, it's taken everybody by surprise. But if you generally look at what the um, economists and the people that are driving the financial media are saying, and you and you, if you look at this in the in the overall sentiment, that's usually that sometimes can be so. All of those factors together were all very negative, negative opinions about what's going to happen in, to prices in the S and P five hundred, negative opin- opinions about the economy, etc. Negative opinions from market participants. The, the CNN fear and greed index was should extreme levels of fear earlier in uh, 2023 and late in 2022. So if you look at the opposite of those things, a lot of times that is usually the the way things will end up going because those are just essentially 
positive indicators when you have all that negativity. Um, right now, obviously, things are th- the narrative has changed completely, so that might be indicative. Meaning, like now there's now the the financial media is banging the table to buy. The, their CNN fear and greed index is uh, is showing extreme greed. The there's uh, these market forecasters are, show, are revising their. S&P 500 year-end targets to higher levels. I just saw, for example, Citi uh, increased their their price target from of Nvidia to five hundred and twenty dollars. So usually these things come in um, the, these these uh, bullish or bearish indicators are the exact opposite of what you would think. But like if we end up having a correction or whatever, that's not any, anything out of the ordinary. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get one. Um, in the next six, 12 months, because usually, um, on average, the market's correct 10% uh, every 12 months, um, if you look back at history. Yeah, I think it's, the according to J.P. Morgan, it's, it's 14% per year peak to trough is the average decline uh, in the markets. Of course, markets in general, I think it's three out of every four years, uh, have finished positively since 1980 with an average return of north of 9%. But intra-year, you get a lot of volatility. I think this reminded me of a, a Peter Lynch quote. Peter Lynch was a legend, legendary stock picker who ran Fidelity's Magellan Fund. They beat the market for 13 straight years. Uh, but he gave a speech. This was in 1994. Um, and just an ex- excerpt from that speech is just really important in how to think about uh, investing in markets in general. He says, some event will come out of left field and the market will go down or the market will go up. Volatility will occur. Markets will continue to have these ups and downs. Basic corporate profits have grown about 8% a year historically, so corporate profits double every nine years. The stock market ought to double about every nine years. I mean, the markets should follow profits over time. So I think the market is about 3,800 today. This is the Dow in 1994. It's 3,800. It's what, 34,000 now? The market is about 3,800 today or 3,700. I'm pretty convinced the next 3,800 points will be up. It won't be down. The next 500 points, maybe the next 600 points, I don't know which way they'll go. So the market ought to double in the next eight or nine years. They'll double again in eight or nine years after that because profits go up 8% a year and stocks will follow. That's all there is to it. And so all of this punditry about you know, where are we going to go in the next six or 12 months and let's set a year-end forecast, corporate profits trend about 8% a year and the market should follow profits over time. Of course, if you buy at a really high valuation, your the impact might be slightly less than 8%, 8% growth over time. And if you buy at a low valuation, slightly more than 8% uh, from a timing perspective, but just in general, over time, the longer your time horizon, your returns trend towards whatever the profit growth is for uh, corporate America. And that historically has been about 8% per year. Yeah. And if this brings me to an interesting point related to this, we're all looking at this from the context of America. And since our childhood, America really, like I mentioned, going back the last century or so, um, really about more more about the, the last eighty years that really World War II, II on America really sort of anchored itself as this world leader from a superpower standpoint, but also from an economic standpoint. But really, in in the last fifteen years, we became the the real economic leader, uh, or really firmly entrenched ourselves as an economic leader relative to Europe. 
And in uh, this this article in the Wall Street Journal that I'm going to reference right now really uh, rang that sentiment home. And I'm going to start uh, by reading, Europeans are facing a new economic reality, one they, they haven't experienced in decades. They're becoming poorer. Life on the continent, long envied by outsiders for its art de vivre, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, is, at, is rapidly losing its shine as Europeans see their purchasing power melting away. The French are eating less foie gras and drinking less red wine. Spaniards are stinning on olive oil. Finns are being urged to use saunas on windy days when energy is less expensive. Across Germany, meat and milk consumption has fallen. And it goes in Italy, they're having issues as well, too. And it goes through the average annual inflation-adjusted wages for the United States and then its peers in Europe from 20, 2008, 2019, and 2022. And the United States, across the board, inflation-adjusted wages have increased over the last 15 or so years that the study references. But only really in Germany and slightly in the UK have, have wages really kept up, inflation adjusted wages kept kept up in um, relative to the last from 2018, pardon me, 20, 2008 to 2022. And in some places, wages are significantly lower than they, what they were going back the 15 years, like in Italy, Spain, France, and Greece. Those wages have really gotten stunted. And that's why I'm sure that's part of the reasons why you're seeing social unrest in those places. Um, the, the article goes through the, the, the causes and of, and of these particular issues and how the, the fact that there are very loose work policies in a lot of these places, vacation time, et cetera, and then dependency on Germany for, uh, pardon me, dependency on Russia for uh, fuel has all, there's, there's been this sort of perfect storm that's, that's existed in these countries. And it, ma it made me think while you were talking about Deutsche Bank being the, the study uh, or the, the market, the economist that you had referenced was a Deutsche Bank economist that had predicted the, the 4,500 S&P 500 number this year. I looked at Deutsche Bank stock when you were talking about that. In 2007, this is pre-financial, pre-global financial crisis, it was $123 a share. Deutsche Bank is like the preeminent um, German bank, essentially. It's, they've been in the news recently because they were Trump's bank and everything, but they were basically like the JP Morgan um, of Europe, or of, of mainland Europe when we were younger. And now, so now Deutsche Bank's stock price is $10.98 a share. So 15 years ago, it was 125 Now it's uh, $10, $11 a share. Even after the financial crisis, it, it bounced back to like $60 a share. But it's just indicative of the sort of stagnation that's existed in that particular continent. And, and on if you contrast the U.S. economy and the, U, the, the momentum that we have here, it's really sort of stunning. And, and if you even go into, the, into further depth, a lot of these places have really horrible demographics, meaning that their populations are aging. And it's really sort of a sort of a sad situation that exists from a they've made poor political choices and um, have these part, these vacation days that are and the envy of the world, but their productivity is way down. And then they're also dependent upon a, a, a not so friendly neighbor. Whereas if you contrast J.P. Morgan stock price over this last the same time period, it's going to be a pretty interesting dichotomy. Let's see from 2008, J.P. Morgan, on the other hand was a uh, a $50 stock 
and then now it's $153. So it's really the sort of tale of two cities, and you've got these these uh, amazing cultural aspects of of a of a European um, of the European continent, and, and but they've really suffered over the last 15 years since we've sort of entered our professional careers. Yeah, grass is always greener. I, this reminded me of a, a statistic from World of Statistics around average annual hours worked. Uh, and it goes across you know, mostly developed countries, but in terms of the least annual hours worked from the least to the most, Germany, Ger- Germans on average work about 1,350 hours per year. Uh, U.S. Uh, workers are about 1,800 hours per year. So 450 hours, what is that, like 10 weeks of difference in work. Me- Mexico, 2128, 21, uh, over to 2,100 hours per year worked. Um, so a lot of this is also just cultural from the perspective of uh, desire to uh, to work, improve, uh, provide an economic impact. Uh, and you know, if, if Germans are having, or Danes or, um, Norwegians are having on average about a 10 weeks more off per year. And, uh, from a, a hours work perspective, that's going to have an impact on economic growth as well. Yeah. And you know what I saw that was interesting about that? I saw that same graphic. Mexicans are working like more than way more than any other uh, populace at, in the in the global in the global uh, stage. They're working like they have a six day work week right now. So it's pretty crazy. Didn't we talk a couple of weeks ago how we were bullish Mexico, uh, or at least I was. Um, with I'm super bullish on all of Latin America, but yeah, Mexico has got like third. They've we talked about the United States twenty years ago, how we just have like completely dominated the world stage. They have a similar sort of setup, but they have obviously they have so many more problems than we had. They have a, a horrible corruption, drug drug trafficking. A, a we talked about this previous as well too. Their their leadership is they've this is occurs across Latin America, but they have leadership that's either like super far right or super far left, and they there's not really a whole lot of moderation. And then there's corruption involved in that as well too. But yeah, I love I love Mexico and I love the Mex- Mexican people are amazing as well too. Speaking of world stage, um, I thought this was interesting, uh, in the stage aspect in general. The Federal Reserve released their beige book uh, last week, and this is from NBC News. Federal Reserve credits Taylor Swift with boosting hotel revenues through her blockbuster era's tour. Um, and the, this is an article that basically talks about how, and, it, and it gives an example of Philadelphia Federal Reserve officials reported hotel bookings rose showing the strongest growth since the beginning of the pandemic, thanks to Swift show dates. Despite the, so, despite the slow in recovery in tourism in the region overall, one contact highlighted that May was the strongest month for hotel revenue in Philadelphia since the onset of the pandemic, large, uh, large part due to the influx of guests for the Taylor Swift concert. This is insane how people are just... Um, traveling all over the country, following Taylor Swift on these multi-night arena tours, and you know, the amount of money paid per ticket—it's uh, like a, it's, this is a cultural phenomenon. And all of the feedback from these tours is, or the concerts, is that it's an incredible show. Uh, but it's interesting that the Federal Reserve is is crediting Taylor Swift with uh, boosting 
economic growth in some in some tepid growth areas of the country. Um, and so, every, you know, every little bit counts, I guess. Right. It's it is a cultural phenomenon, and essentially, the the mom and daughter uh, contingent is going to see these things or, you know, friends or whatever that are fans, which basically everybody is a fan that I know. So I know I've seen countless people go to these things, but interestingly enough, I saw there was a, a, a video that was circulating on social media of uh, a bunch of women on a flight, a delayed flight from Salt Lake city to somewhere that was singing uh, Taylor Swift songs. Yeah. Can you imagine what, I would die, you know, be on that plane. <laughs> right. The noise canceling headphones don't go up high enough right. in that situation. But yeah, I, I like, I personally, I like Taylor Swift as well too, but yeah, not, uh, not necessarily with, uh, on a, on a delayed flight, uh, with, you know, hundred Swifties singing. Um, but yeah, it's a cultural phenomenon. And speaking of cultural phenomenons, Messi is, was officially inducted as a, uh, a player for inner Miami yesterday. And there was, it was like storming in Miami, the Messi family, Antonella, and he has three boys recently moved to Miami this past uh, week. And it was, it was also sort of an interesting cultural dichotomy that existed when he, uh, the, the, there was paparazzi falling around everywhere, but this wasn't even a paparazzi thing. It was like a, this is just people that going about their day that put, pulled out their phones and saw him in a, it was the, the sort of the sort of the really interesting, like I mentioned, cultural dichotomy between the one of the first things that that an Argentinian family that li- had been living in Spain and France did was they went to the the thing that we cons- we as Americans take for granted, but across the world they don't they're not really uh, they don't get the same level of service, and that's specifically in a Publix, which is a supermarket in Florida. So they went to the whole they br- he brought his whole family to go shopping at a Publix and it's, it's kind of ironic uh, or not ironic, but just hilarious when you think about the fact that like in Argentina or in Italy or France, they just do not do supermarkets like we do. And there's, there's they, the videos and, and pictures that existed online showed his family just like joyously pulling things off the shelves and uh, having a blast and everything. So it's pretty, that, that whole Taylor Swift Economic impact is real, and I'm sure that there's going to be a, an economic impact related to uh, Messi. And I'm curious to see if that has if he makes it to the level of the beige book with the Fed as well, too. That's next level stuff right there. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I'm one that I, I guess you can consider me on the opposite side of the Swifties. I will be one to travel to see Messi. Um, and at least if it's reasonable from a price perspective, but I would love to see him play before he formally retires. Um, and, uh, and so count me as somebody who would you know, go to Philadelphia to see a Messi match. Right. And that th- there's, there's definite economic impact to that. The, the real issue that, that, uh, Messi has, or the economic issue that Messi has relative to Taylor Swift is Taylor Swift pay- playing all of these, arenas and she's playing multiple nights and like for example the stadium in miami is only like eighteen thousand people or something like that that can fit in the stadium and a lot of these mls stadiums are smaller although like the one in seattle i actually went to a, a seattle sounders game like five or ten years ago which was really kind of a fun experience and they play in the the wherever the seahawks play so they play in an actual football stadium that, that can accommodate a lot of people but it otherwise is going to be difficult for for the same sort of uh push that Taylor Swift has had 
Taylor Swift's going on her European and and uh, Latin American tour soon, so I think her American tour wrap, wraps up the next month or so. So I wonder if we're going <laughs> to see any sort of material in, or decrease to GDP when she uh, once she goes along her merry way. Yeah. Well, anyway, this we're up about twenty minutes, and we're keeping our summer series short. But uh, we hope everyone enjoyed this podcast. We'll be back in a week, and uh, hope everyone's enjoying their summer. Reminder. Uh, the way that we get more exposure is to get those five-star reviews. So if you go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review, we'd be greatly appreciated that. And so anyway, thanks for your time today, and we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lanyap. This podcast is brought to you by Stokes Family Office. If you liked this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Stokes Family Office and Lanyap, visit us at stokesfamilyoffice.com. The information in this podcast is educational and general in nature and does not take into consideration the listener's personal circumstances. Therefore, it is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized financial, legal, or tax advice. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a final decision.